I'm Emily Lawler, and this is Mandatory. In January, the state of Tennessee filed a civil enforcement complaint against a series of family-owned companies in Michigan, accusing the companies of sending, quote, phony mailers, unquote, designed to, quote, pilfer money from unsuspecting Tennessee businesses, unquote. The mailers, which the state alleges are designed to look like government invoices, charged businesses up to $395 to file required annual reports that cost as little as $20 to file directly through the state. It wasn't shocking. It was familiar. This is at least the 32nd enforcement action filed against companies associated with three brothers, Joseph, Thomas, and Stephen Feta, across 20 years and 20 states. The brothers, through their attorneys, declined to be interviewed for this podcast. I'm Emily Lawler, a reporter with MLive.com, and I've spent nearly a year piecing together all of those filings and learning everything I could about a local-to-me company that depending on who you ask, has successfully run either an innovative or deceptive business model for decades, despite efforts to curb its activities. The Mandatory Poster Agency, which now goes by the Labor Law Poster Service and has gone by a slew of other names, was incorporated by Stephen Feta in 1999. By 2000, it was on the radar of the Michigan Attorney General's office, which sent it a cease-and-desist letter for sending mailings that could be misread as official, offering state and federal labor posters for close to $60 when they were available through the state for free. The company did not cease-and-desist after receiving the letter. The state ended up reaching an assurance of discontinuance with them to avoid litigation. Skip Press was an attorney at the Michigan Attorney General's office at the time and the assistant in charge of the Consumer Protection Division. I, I do have a recollection that, that the practices of this company were very concerning, very misleading. Uh, the misrepresentations seemed to be quite blatant, and we were motivated to take action uh, because they were preying on businesses. Uh, that being said, I don't recall it as being, you know, a huge case compared to many other cases that the division handled. While in that position from 1997 to 2003, he was working on big cases like against pharmaceutical companies and a chain of furniture companies that always seemed to be running sales. Then there were sort of -of run-of-the-mill things, like going after bad contractors or fraudulent charities. This was one of many cases he handled, and when he signed a settlement agreement with the Feta brothers, he didn't think much more about it until a couple decades later, when I called. Just in general, was, was there anything that was standout enough about that case at the time where you would have thought it was something that would still be affecting consumers in in Michigan and across the nation 20 years later? No, I I thought we rectified the situation. At least that's that's my recollection, you know, that we were good. Uh, You know, I I, I can't tell you that I recall any follow-up that we did. I, I say that because I would have been alerted by our complaint intake staff 
if there was none, if, if there were complaints that were being filed with the division concerning that the continuation of that practice. And I don't recall, you know, ever staff coming to me and saying, you know, this company is still doing what it was doing. So that's to the best of my recollection. But clearly they were, right? Right. Michigan would take legal action against the company again in 2007 under Attorney General Mike Cox and again under Attorney General Bill Schutte in 2015. The actions in 2000 and 2007 were much like what's taken place in other states. The state put the company on notice for practices that could be deceptive or run against state law, and the company agreed to make changes. But the 2015 effort is, as far as I can tell, the only effort by a state attorney general to completely shut the company down. Here's what the state laid out in its initial filing. Since mandatory poster agencies incorporation in 1999, the state had received hundreds of complaints about their practices. The state will reach an agreement with the company and a new issue will crop up. That's replicated across the country. And the basic thread between all the solicitations is they can be mistaken for a government form. And because of all of that, the state sought a serious legal remedy, disgorgement. That's a legal term for when ill-gotten gains are seized and can be returned to people who were wronged. The solicitations were a public nuisance, the state argued. They constituted a fraudulent misrepresentation, and the company had been at this for years. It should be dissolved, the state argued. The company hit back and hit back forcefully with the help of a new ally. Mike Cox, who had pursued an enforcement action against the company when he was attorney general eight years earlier, was on the other side of the table in 2015, working as the company's defense attorney. He couldn't be reached for comment. But in 2015, he argued the company provided useful services that helped businesses maintain corporate formalities and protected owners from liability. Cox wrote that his successor attorney general, fellow Republican Bill Schutte, quote, fails to allege any illegal conduct simply because the attorney general may not like MPA and its product and claims that MPA's product is overpriced or has a deceptive look and feel does not state a valid cause of action, end quote. And the defense he was a part of pointed to a statistic. 40% of the company's customers are returning customers. The judge on the case, William Collette, is a colorful character. I've sat through his hearings, and they aren't dry. He's got enough personality to fill a couple of courtrooms. In this case, at several points, he just doesn't seem swayed by what the attorney general's arguing. In one transcript, he tells the attorney for the state, quote, I have had lawsuits where people file claims against people and then come in here and search for evidence in the records of the other side to try to prove their allegations. Generally, my feeling is, is that you should have the information to support your case when you file it and not go on some fishing expedition for the next two years. God knows what's going to go on with this mess. God only knows, end quote. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Colette didn't approve what he viewed as the fishing expedition. The ultimate result wasn't dissolving the company or disgorgement. It was yet another assurance of voluntary compliance. Here's what now former Attorney General spokesperson Ryan Jarvik say about it. The parties reached a settlement agreement and the lawsuit against MPA has been dismissed with prejudice and without litigation costs or attorney fees. And I take it you read that? (laughs) 
Correct. The Attorney General's office is limited in what they can say about the case because the assurance of voluntary compliance includes a gag order. The Attorney General's office, which had announced the initiation of the case to great fanfare, agreed not to put out a press release about its resolution, and representatives from the Attorney General's office and the state regulatory agency have a prepared sentence they can share. That's it which, according to attorneys, is not common in consumer protection cases. Press's reaction? I have to say, uh, what you sent me in its provisions uh, was, at least to my experience, uh, unusual. The, um, the limitation or the agreement among the parties not to speak to the press uh, or to respond to the press in a agreed-upon way is something that, to the best of my recollection, we would not have considered back then when I was in the Consumer Protection Division because um, limiting how and when the Attorney General can inform the, its public uh, is, is, is just not something that I, I think ought to be done. It was also a surprise to Abigail Stumpson, director of the National Attorneys General Training and Research Institute Center for Consumer Protection at the National Association of Attorneys General. I would say that is not very common, at least in my practice. And I guess I should say why I'm talking to the National Association of Attorneys General. It's the group that would coordinate something called a multi-state action. If a group of states were to get together and negotiate with the brothers and their companies together instead of doing it piecemeal. To be clear, I have no idea if that's happening. It's not the sort of thing they're allowed to tell reporters willy-nilly. But when I contacted Abigail about the Feta brothers, she knew exactly who I was talking about due to her work in a previous role when she handled consumer protection in Nebraska. Well, in absolute full disclosure, I actually um, am looking at an old settlement that I did with those brothers and their organization. So with it was mandatory poster agency doing business as corporate record service and Thomas Fata and Stephen Fata. So I am very familiar with uh, the potential issues or issues going on here. Um, this case was when I was still in Nebraska and uh, it was back from 2014. She explained in general terms some considerations that go into whether to start a multi-state action. Is it a priority in a lot of states? Can you avoid duplicating efforts? Will states get a better settlement working together than they would on their own? Another thing that maybe folks don't think about is you want to ensure a level playing field on potentially a regional or national basis for legitimate business practices. I mean, it's not only to protect consumers, but what you want to have happen is to have a fair marketplace. You want to protect legitimate businesses who are following the law and doing things right. And so you're trying to get players out of business that are doing fraudulent or deceptive things. Um, and so sometimes a joint action or oftentimes it will help level that playing field. So if you get the bad actors out, then the good actors, the ones following the law, then benefit. So are the Fader brothers good actors or bad ones? Is this a deceptive business model or a legitimate and innovative one? I explore that in next week's episode. This limited series podcast is released every week. To read more about the Feta Brothers or keep up to date on Michigan news, visit MLive.com. 
If you value the journalism that goes into stories like this, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and consider becoming an MLive subscriber. Have you gotten a solicitation like this or do you think you've paid a company owned by the Feta Brothers? I would love to hear from you. Please leave a voicemail at 616-222-1022. Again, that's 616-222-1022.